My parents destroyed me as a salesperson because they said to me, don't talk to strangers. It's impolite to, to uh, talk about money and never speak unless spoken to. Now I go work for a GA, you know what they say? I want you to go talk to as many people as possible. I want you to actually and get money on the table. I want you, they're exact opposite. So it's time work way I want to connect the listeners to the best of the best. Welcome to the Evolved Broker Podcast, coming to you on the first and third Mondays of every month. I am your host, Pat Costello, the co-founder and principal at Evolve MGA. Our mission for the podcast is to bring the insurance industry the best of the best. I had the pleasure of speaking with the CEO of one of the most highly regarded sales training companies in the world. Sandler Sales Training trains over 30,000 people every year in more than 30 countries with 250 plus locations worldwide. They work with companies of all sizes and their clients include Salesforce, AT&T, Oracle, Microsoft, and Bank of America. Dave Matson is the leader of this global organization and Dave was born and raised in Connecticut and graduated from UConn. He worked for one of Sandler's clients and loved their training so much that he joined their team in 1988. Two years later, he was named COO. In 2007, he was named the CEO and was responsible for growing international revenue by 145%. He is the author of multiple best-selling sales books, including Sandler's Success Principles, Scaling Sales Success, and The Sandler Rules. We discussed his story, his sales philosophy, specific sales strategies, and what makes Sandler different. Please download, subscribe, and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening on, and feel free to reach out to me at pat at evolvedbrokerpodcast.com with any comments or suggestions for the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by First Insurance Funding. First is the leading premium finance company in insurance and is known throughout the industry for their personalized service and quote flexibility. If you're tired of sending quote requests for smaller premiums to multiple companies, not leaving enough time to negotiate larger opportunities, then choose First as your primary financing source and experience the first difference today. Without further ado, here's Dave. Dave, welcome to the Evolved Broker Podcast. Thanks for having me, Pat. I'm super excited to chat with you today. And I really think the way that I'd like this conversation to go is for people to get to know a little bit about your personal background, how you joined Sandler and how you scaled the corporate ladder to become CEO. And then finally, the most the biggest part that I'm most excited about is the specific sales tactics and strategies that people can take away from this conversation and implement into their daily sales routines. So does that sound like a good structure Sounds for great. the conversation? Sounds great, thanks. Cool. So I know you grew up in Connecticut and you had some interesting jobs growing up. <laughs> I heard that you worked uh, packing tobacco at the age of 14, is that true? Yeah, so I uh, grew up uh, with my parents saying, you can have whatever you want, David, but you you have to pay for it, right? We didn't grow up with uh, with money. So I grew up very quickly with, just go out and do. And so, you know, the typical, you know, uh, paper routes and blah, blah, blah. But at 14, I got a real job, which is, you know, they pick you up at 5 a.m. in a bus and they drop you off at 2.30 and you're picking tobacco. And uh-huh. of course, the kids, we were expendable, Pat. So uh-huh. they would have the real workers up front, but we were, you know, sitting in mud, pulling ourselves forward like a crab, getting the bottom <laughs> leaves out. <laughs> and uh, every day there was less and less people on the bus, I can tell you that. But um <laughs> But that was the beginning, you know, and wow. that's kind of where I learned that in my whole mentality was because I owned a painting business uh-huh. all through high school and then through college and, and you know, had 11 crews. It was very successful. I was going to ask you about that for the painting. Yeah. So you, did you start that while you're in college at UConn? I started it actually in high school. So I okay. was working for teachers because, you know, teachers in the summers, that's what they did. And I always remember, you know, we were painting two houses a week. It was me and my buddy, and we got 275 bucks a week. 
uh, we did the two houses, and one day somebody gave me a check to give to the teachers. Well, let's look at it. It's like $4,800. I'm like, well, wait a minute now. We're doing about $9,200. We got $275. What'd you get, Fred? Oh, $275. Now I okay, I got this down. And that was it. Next thing you know, cars, crews. And I did that for six years. Wow. Okay. So you sold that in college or after college? After college. After, after. college. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in terms of the, the logistics of that, it was, it, was it a lot of painting houses? Yeah, for the most part, we, yeah. it was, yes, houses. It took less insurance. We didn't do a lot of commercial. Okay. okay. Um, but yeah, it was all, it was all um, homeowners and it was great. Yeah. You know, we did that for a long, long time. Um, but, you know, where I grew up thinking, and this is where I met Sandler, to be honest. I, I, when I left that, I had lost my money. All right. So I had invested in one particular company. They got busted for insider trading before it was, you know, the cool thing to do, I guess. And so I, I went to bed as a stud and woke up as a dud. I mean, completely destitute. That's terrible. So, I had, so you invested oh. all your proceeds from yeah. selling uh, the painting company yeah, yeah. into this company and they got busted for insider trading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my stock went to nothing the next day. It, and of yeah. course- you couldn't tell me anything, right? So my dad would say, hey, David, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, uh-huh. you know, I was a typical 26, 25-year-old snot. Yeah. And, you know, and I would say, dad, I, I, you know, I'm paying more in taxes than you make. I know what I'm doing. And uh-huh. then I margined, you know what that is. I, I borrowed money from the house because why not? I was making so much in there because they were yeah. buying and selling my stock all day long. Well, in addition to waking up completely destitute, I owed money. You're in <laughs> debt now. So, ah, now I'm in debt. So I took a job, I'm going to age myself here, selling office equipment. Okay. So yeah, uh, typewriters back then. And by the way, the big, <laughs> the big special thing was it had memory and they, they could remember a form and you had to pit, just hit mm-hmm. one button and your invoice would be printed. And that was magical back then, right? Uh-huh. Magical. And this was so, like 1985 ish Yeah, 85. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they were Sandler clients. And that's how I started to get myself into Sandler. And I and I learned right when I took that sales job because up to then I was always judged by how hard you worked, right? Okay. And when you were in sales, no one cares how hard you work. It's do you have the results? Yeah. And you know, are you doing all the behaviors necessary? And that was a huge shift for me personally. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, it's, that's not the way I was wired. So Dave, were you sitting in some sort of sales training while you're working for the office supplies company that Sandler was putting yeah. on. And you're like, wow, there's kind of some magic in to what is going on here. And obviously you love that it was performance-based. Um, yeah. But was that, was there a trigger that was like, you know, this specific sales trainer is really intriguing me to go make a whole career shift and leave this office supplies company? Um. I'll tell you, it was more the content that I fell in love with. Not that, that my trainer wasn't good. He was, he was awesome because I actually went to work for him. Um, but, you know, sitting in a room, I didn't want to go. Like I, I was a hostage, you know, the typical man, not going to learn anything here today. Uh-huh. And so that was me. And once I learned that Sandler was a pull model, you don't have to learn, you, don't, you didn't push, you know, people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. And it was conversational and it was based on psychology Boom, I fell in love because I didn't have to learn a script. I didn't have to become a salesperson because, you know, my parents were all teachers. So, you know, can you imagine if I went to you know, I went to UConn and I came back to my mom and I said, hey, listen, I graduated and I just took a total commission job selling. What? <laughs> what? We spent all that money, David. You know, and she called my father. David's unemployed. Come down here quickly. He's going to live with us for the rest of his life. You know, that whole thing that goes on when they panic. First of all, sales. Who would have ever thought? Total commission. Oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. And so that's kind of, so I actually, Sandler, the way Sandler worked still does is the 250 training offices. I went to a training center and I was with people that sold insurance. I was with people who sold, you know, everything. Mm -hmm. And we were hearing the same content, but applying it for ourselves and kind of cross pollinating how we looked at things. And it was awesome. And that's how I got there. That's how I learned. Okay. You get to Sandler it sounds like it was a really exciting experience. And according to your LinkedIn, in just a few years, you were promoted to COO. Is that right? Yes. So that's, I, wi- that's wild. How did, you, uh, how did you scale the company so quickly? 
So I, I became David's partner in 1994. Um, and David unfortunately passed in 95. And so I then bought the other, I bought another 25% in 2007 and bought it all in 2012. Okay. And so if you think about when I started with David, I was only 28 years old mm-hmm. and, but I was a sponge. I mean, I was totally dedicated to be the best that I could be. And so, and he saw that. And so if I put a lot of time and energy into learning all the Sandler stuff and learning how to be a business person, you know, different from what I was accustomed to. And David just took me under his wing and I was his protege. Mm-hmm. And so I've had a lot of different roles within Sandler. Um, a lot of responsibilities in Sandler. You know, I spent a couple weeks, a couple weeks a month in Europe doing seminars because, you know, I had an accent, uh, very sarcastic, dry humor. And that went over extremely well in the UK as an example. So there was a lot of connections, but it, I mean, it was an awesome experience. And, and how we scaled, to answer your question, is really looking through the, the eyes of the customer, right? So make them raving fans, really. I grew up in the field, so the field accepted me immediately. And we've just expanded our, our product line. We've expanded our geographic reach. You know, we've certainly embraced all the technology. And, you know, we're at the point now where we've got almost 52,000 new users in our system, like new people that we're training every single year. And that's been going on for years and years and years. So we've got quite a quite a following at this point. Okay. Okay. So David passed away. You took over as CEO. And some of the stats that I saw were super impressive about growth and specifically international growth. The one mm-hmm. I saw was that you grew um, the international business by 145%. Mm-hmm. What? How different does the business look today than when you initially took it over? It's completely different, actually. We talk about this all the time at our uh-huh. conferences. Um, well, first, we have two different sides of the business now. So we've got the S&B market, but then we have the large enterprise side. That's completely different. We used to have three products, um, and, you know, prospecting, sales, and sales management. Now we've got quite a few products. I mean, specifically based on um, industry, like insurance and, you know, in-home sales and, you know, enterprise sales, et cetera. And then the use of technology, Pat, I mean, you know, that's been completely embedded. We have an LMS, which has got all the AI built into it. Sandler, we never had that. We handed out tapes, right? It was completely different. And, mm-hmm. you know, now we're in 31 countries. It's just, it, the business has morphed because a couple of things. One, the learners have morphed. I've got five kids, right? And they don't learn the way I learned. They, they're learning off this phone. They could care less if they ever watch TV. They're, everything is on the phone. Everything is in short chunks, right? Three to five minutes, which I, I, I can't get my head around how you learn how to close in three minutes, but they're satisfied with that. <laughs> so we had to keep changing based on the environment. And, and really, quite frankly, I'd like to take credit for a lot of it, but our clients pulled us in directions you know, so mm-hmm. they pulled us into large enterprise business. They pulled us into the insurance. We didn't wake up one day and say, hey, we're going to be really focused in on uh, financial services. It just kind of happened. Yeah. And, you know, the company is shifting and growing and you guys are integrating technology. Is the content shifting as well as you guys get deeper into the years of the growth of company? It is. Now, when I say it is, I mean, the foundational concepts are, are, are all the same. You know, I can walk through an airport with a Sandler shirt. They have no idea who I am, but somebody will just start throwing out, you know, throwing out Sandler terms. And I'll <laughs> say, hey, you know, when did you go through? Oh, 1986. I went through in 94. So they all recognize that. So it's all the That's same. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because let's think about it. Whether your parents or my parents sold, prospecting is completely different. Yes. But a lot of the sales motions are the same. And so we have the foundational topics, but then we've just morphed, you know, um, into using those philosophies into so much more these days. This is a perfect transition point into specific Sandler sales training strategies. Was there any core elements of that original Sandler sales training that are still taught today that are promoted that are kind of timeless sales strategies that you love throwing out there for uh, new folks and even experienced folks that are in sales? Sure. Um, uh, I think we use a lot of the same stuff. Um, And as I said, things change with prospecting. But for our insurance friends, here's a couple ideas that maybe you could use immediately. And that's always my goal is to make sure people can walk away 
after listening or watching and say, I could use that. And so one would be, it sounds basic, but we all fall into the trap, Pat, is, you know, don't throw up product knowledge. Now we say, okay, I don't do that. I get it. But if I step back for a minute and just kind of lay the foundation, because I've seen tens of thousands of calls, especially in the financial services world, you know, if I were to ask you, so let me just set the stage. I think what sometimes you as a individual producer think they know everything about, you know, insurance as an example, but in fairness, they buy it occasionally. You sell it every single day and we forget that. Right. And we also think that this big thing behind us, which is our corporation is going to make or break this thing. I don't believe that. I mean, if, if I were to ask you, like, for instance, let's pretend you work, you're selling insurance. Okay. And I say to you, as an average, you know, just pick a normal response that most people would say. If I say, hey, Pat, you know, we haven't done work with your organization in the past. Out of curiosity, what are the top three reasons why we should be thinking about doing business with you and your company? What would most insurance agents say? Most insurance agents would say that uh, they have great service. Yep. Uh, They're very knowledgeable when it comes to different product lines. And uh, they have access to uh, lots of different markets that right. uh, they can bid against each other for um, different talent, prices. Right. We've got great talent, great reputation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Our clients don't leave us. They love us. Yeah. You know, We've been around that. for a long time. Exactly. Right. So that's great. But let's now play this out. So unfortunately, you were fired, Pat. So you don't longer work for that company. And now you went to company B who is your biggest competitor, let's say. And you know, you've been trashing them forever, but now here you go. You had to get rid of your logo shirts. Now you got no logo shirts on, right? You went through six weeks of rock'em sock'em product knowledge. And now you're all spun up. You're like ready to go. And now you're at your other next appointment under a new company. And they say, you know, Pat, it's nice to meet you. I mean, we haven't done any work with your firm in the past. What are the top three reasons why we should consider doing business with you? What do they say now? They'd probably be the exact same, same reasons thing, that I said right? at the first company. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same thing. So think about as a buyer, I'm hearing you all say the same thing. And, you know, I love the fact that your company started in 1912. And yes, there's a building named after you. And that's awesome what you guys did in the 50s and the 60s. That's all, all good stuff. But reality, no one really cares. You know, they're going to validate that in the future. But I really just want to know as a buyer, you know, do you understand my problems? And if I don't know the problems, you can intelligently set the stage for me. And I'll say, oh, actually, I never thought about it. I don't, I don't have that, right? And so that's always important. Now, I think there's two things that we can think about to get out of that product throw up stuff. Um, one, if you think about if you use a fact finder, right? I can't tell you how many times I've seen people use a fact finder as a data collection sheet, right? And they're just going down. So what do you have in retirement? Oh, how many kids? Oh, what are their ages? And it's like an interrogation. Right. So I know what you're doing. You're trying to build a case, take all the information back to the brains and, and build the case and all that stuff, which is great. But as a oh, as a prospect, as a buyer, this is very intellectual. Like I'm just in a reporting mode. Right. I'm giving you all the information, not knowing really what's going to happen. But I, I think if you had that in more of a conversational manner, um, you can fill that stuff out in the past and just have a conversation because people do buy from people and they are going to buy from people that they like and they mm-hmm. trust. And that's your, that's your opportunity to connect, not do a data collection on the first call so you've got all the information that's needed. Yeah. I think people forget that. I think and it so, kind of feels exhausting from the, the buyer standpoint too. It is. It is. And there's no connection, right? Right. I mean, if, you know, if somebody says, hey, how would you feel about Dave? Uh, Dave was okay, I guess, you know. Yeah. But you don't want to hear that. I mean, you, also, you also should start thinking about maybe your 30-second commercials, your, your elevator pitches, right? And so that's when you don't do, let me tell you about my company. And if you think about an elevator pitch, if somebody says, hey, tell us a little bit about the firm, we're all, we're all going to say, we started in 1912. We've got 6,000 agents. We did this. Here's our products. It's all me, 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 me in the elevator pitch. I'm suggesting you do you, 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 you. Here's what I think you should talk about in a very upfront, very quickly. Your elevator pitch should have some components. Number one, who are you, right? Types of problems that you solve types of people that you work with and results that they have. So if I were just, and I'm going to, I'm going to wing it here for a second, but if I were, you know, just meeting somebody in the thing, they say, Hey, tell us a little bit about what you do, Dave. 
Yeah, so you know, I'm a I'm an insurance agent for XYZ organization, which I'll tell you about in a couple of minutes. But we work with homeowners like yourself who are really concerned with a couple of different things. One is, you know, I'm I'm the sole breadwinner and I've got a family here. And what happens, God, you know, God forbid you get into an accident or something health-wise. What happens to my family? I mean, how, how do my kids go to school? My wife is a stay-at-home mom. What goes on there? And that's, that's very concerning for a lot of people that I work with. Um, others are more concerned later in life, such as, hey, you know, I, I don't want to li- outlive my savings. So what, what am I going to do there? I don't want to be a bad person, which, by the way, is the number one fear when they're buying insurance. And so you say, I don't, I, I don't want to outlive my, how do I not outlive my savings? How do I do that? And by the way, with Social Security, you know, most of the people that I talk to are watching the news and they're like, is it actually going to be there when I, when I decide to retire? How does that actually going to work? Because I keep hearing it's bankrupt, right? So what, what's that? And I think some of which are in the growth mode, the achiever mode, are, are trying to figure out how do I put money aside to maybe pay for my kids' college so that they don't have to be in debt for the rest of their lives. It took me 15 years to pay off my college. How can I do something for my kids? But, you know, Pat, those are just some of the types of frustrations and concerns that people that I work with had initially. But I don't suppose any of those resonate with you. And so, boom. And so many of those were so triggering. And I could see myself in a lot of those stories. And it's like, <laughs> whatever pain was I was holding or I didn't even, wasn't even aware of is now right. apparent. Yeah. And, and so I think what you're doing is you're painting a picture. And, and what I would say to an insurance agent is pick in your head, what are the top three reasons why people ultimately buy your product? What is it? And so it could be what I said, you know, and I'll, you know, I'll leave your savings. It could just be, hey, I want to, you know, make sure that my family's protected or my kids' savings, whatever the case is. If those are your three, then that's what you should be doing in your 30-second commercial. And so if you heard stuff like, like little nuances, I said, Pat, I work with people like yourself. I work with families like yours. That's an instant credibility statement, right? Even if I was brand spanking new, I work with families like yourself who are really concerned with, and now I'm using pain trigger phrases, concerned yeah. with, frustrated by, right? Unhappy with. You're not saying, hey, I, I work with people who are super pumped that they could outlive their savings. That's yeah. not how that works. What was that so word called? Pain those those pain phrase was it pain phrases? Yeah, or- triggers, pain triggers. Pain so it's triggers. frustrated, concerned, unhappy. Okay. Yeah. And, and nice. you even could do something about a competitor, such as I work with people who are just unhappy about the fact that, you know, they met their agent when they first did it, but they haven't talked to him since. And they can't even talk to a human. Right? They're, yeah. they're caught up in voicemail and they're trying to figure out how do I get some personal attention, which seemed to be there when they were selling, but they haven't heard from them since. So you could weave in all these things in your 30 second commercial. Yeah. But- That's a great way to think about the structure of the elevator pitch that so many folks in the insurance world are using at networking events. That's exactly. a, a really common way people start out in insurance sales is just by going to lots and lots of professional networking events yep. in their area. And so what do you do, Pat? Oh, I sell insurance. Okay, got it. Yeah, that's, great. Yeah, who cares, right? That's uh-huh. terrible. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so I like those. Yeah, I think it's a great way to think about an elevator pitch. One interesting topic that I read about when I was looking up Sandler sales training was the concept of not negotiating on price. Mm-hmm. And I really liked where this idea was going. Can you expand on it? Well, sure, there's a whole negotiating program, but I think what it boils down to is, I don't think it, price ultimately isn't the reason why people are gonna buy or not buy. Now, if we're talking about, you know, I'm looking at a $400,000 car versus 20, okay, I get it. But for the most part, the monthly payments that we're talking about, if you're in pain, then the price isn't as important. Like I don't, if I'm in the side of the road and I just got in a car accident, I don't ask the ambulance guy, hey, oh, before yeah. you pick me up, how much is this costing, by the way? <laughs> and, and by the way, do you have a degree of any kind? You know, I just say, help me, save me, right? And Because I'm in pain. So yeah. I think the same thing holds true here. Now, we always say, look, put price aside for a second. And I, and I think even in concessions, you know, if we're really negotiating, 
I think that you should never give up a concession unless you get something of equal value in return. Always remember that because if you just keep giving concessions, then A, you're diminishing your value, diminishing your, your product, and there's not equal business stature. But I like to go into any negotiation. I have a, a, a piece of paper and I have a list, right? I draw it right down the center of line. I say, what do I want from them and what am I willing to give up? And so every okay. time they ask for something, I want something on mine. Well, okay, I understand that. Here's what's important to me. You know, one of the things that I do to build my business is, is have five real good referrals from people who are raving fans. And so assuming that I could do X, is that something that you could commit to if that was one of your things that you wanted in return? Okay. What I found is most people are going to negotiate the concessions by trying not to give as much as they had to, which I get, but they don't have anything in return. Like we give nothing. Uh, and a con any concession unless we get something in return. Mm -hmm. And most of the time they don't care. You know, it's, Hey, I need a case study. I need a testimonial. I need this, or, Hey, I want a two year contract, not a one. That's, that's easy stuff. And I don't want to deal with that once you're a client because then I'm upselling, right. I might as well just get it out right now. Mm -hmm. And so those types of things, you know, and I'm happy to, to, to pass on some tools to the listeners on negotiation and all that stuff. Cause everything that we teach is on a, it's also a tool. You can create your own 30 second commercial as an example. Yeah. So you can just do it that way. But I think you're always negotiating anyways, aren't we? We're negotiating I know. with our boss, we're negotiating all the time. with our family members, you know, all that stuff. And I oh, think- Oh yeah. What you want to do with family members on a Saturday night? Do you want to go to the movies? Do you want to go to dinner? You know, oh my gosh. Yeah. Two hours later, show? it's too late yeah. to go anywhere. Cause you haven't done, you haven't made any decision. Right. Seriously. But I, I think you have to also, when you negotiate, one of the things that I like to do and, and is get your behavioral profile. And so for those people, many people have used disc in the past, you're going to negotiate with me. I'm a high D, but I'm a C, which means high driver, 30,000 feet. Right. I want to make a quick decision. And when I make a decision, my, other side kicks in, which is analytical to make sure that I've made the right decision. But you have some people that are slow movers, right? They're very methodical. They're not going to jump into anything. And by the way, you sell us differently. So one third party story is for those who are risk adverse, move slow, where I don't care about a third party story. Honestly, you know what I say to myself when you start telling me that stuff? I don't care about that. I'll make my own decision. I'm a yeah. smart guy. You know, so, so you just have to kind of adjust your sales approach, not your methodology to the buyer, uh, you know, psychology or the buyer profile. And you can do that really quick. You can just pick up quick, quick little things and you, you just have to adjust. Okay. So it's stuff like that, that I think, you know, from a big picture, because obviously it's an eight hour course, but in, in three minutes or less, those are the types of things that I look for. Great. Yeah. Any content that you have that uh, you'd be willing to share? I know our yeah. listeners would appreciate it. And I know uh, likely a lot of them could be candidates to uh, be Sandler clients, whether it's individuals or um, even insurance agencies or sales managers, because I know you guys do that as well. Yeah. Happy to do it. Okay. One thing that really stood out to me as well on your guys' website was the Sandler submarine. Yeah. Can you talk through what the Sandler submarine is and how it applies to sales? Sure. Um, so you asked me before some of the stuff that David created still here today, and this is one of them. So we have a, a whole enterprise model, which is a long selling cycle, multiple buyers, multiple sellers. That's not what we're talking about here. The Sandler selling system, which is a part of that other thing, is really, we've got several steps. Number one, is that we're establishing rapport relationship, right? And it's not, what did you do this weekend? And it's not, you know, where did you go to school? It's more on the behavioral stuff that I just talked about. And we, there's like five or six really good techniques that make help me get inside your head. And so I should know who I am first, mm -hmm. and then I can better understand you. So that's the first one. Second one is an upfront contract, which is mutual agreement. And I've got some things that I can share with you in a couple of minutes on that, which is really, how do you set the stage? How do you set a good agenda? Because my opinion is a call that starts well, ends well. And, and the vice versa, we've all been on calls. I can remember the first call that I went on when I was a Sandler person, it was horrific. I mean, terrible, terrible. <laughs> 
And thank goodness we didn't have voice intelligence back then, or I'd have to listen to it over and over. And so I almost wanted to go and show up with a Dale Carnegie shirt. That's how bad it was, right? I had to take off the Sandler shirt. I didn't want to know I was even associated with Sandler. Um, but that's because it started poorly. It was in my head. It didn't get any better. And so that's an upfront contract. Third step for us is something called pain. So I think people buy emotionally, justify intellectually. So I think you can accelerate the sales process if you're in pain. Like for instance, if I was gonna go buy a car, if we use that as an example, but my car is awesome, it takes me longer to decide if I'm gonna go do that. Yeah. If my car is on the side of the road, chances are I'm gonna have a car by tomorrow, right? So you gotta get people in pain, of which again, we can talk about. The next one is budget. So let's talk about the budget and money, right? Resources, stuff like that. So it's budget, it's how much time and energy are you gonna to be to convert over to us, all that stuff. And then decision is next. So it's kind of interesting, you know, how budgets way up front, right? So then it's decision and all the standard things that you would think about how and when and who and all that stuff. Then, okay. comes, then comes what we call fulfillment. You would call presentation. And we're now a couple of different things here, Pat. We're not doing a full-blown dog and pony show. We're only presenting how to solve the pains that came out in the pain step. Don't oversell. So if you really are only concerned about how to not outlive my money, that's what you should focus in on. Not over here on five other benefits that your product had. That's, I'm, I'm trying to that's, figure out. Am I, that's a huge problem, overselling. Oh, oh my gosh, huge. Just you know, sell to what their issue is and then shut up. So <laughs> right, right. I mean, I can't be any more clear than that, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but the, And then the last one is called post-sale, which is how do I make sure I take care of buyer's remorse Right, because we've all had yeses, and we all went back, and you know they talked to their friends who knew who knew somebody, and next thing you know it turned to a no, or we decided we couldn't afford the five hundred dollars a month for the premium, whatever it is. If I'm going to have an objection, I want it done right in front of me right now. So actually, we help, we teach salespeople to bring up a minor objection before they leave, and let the person say, yeah, it's actually a problem, or no, nah, it's not a big deal. Because they're going to do that anyways. They're always going to have self-doubt when you leave anyways. Why not just force it in front of you? Why hide from it? It's going to happen anyways. And so those are our seven steps. The magic of Sandler is the presentations towards the end, not the front. Right? Okay. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I read a book called The Challenger Sale yeah. written by Matt Dixon. And yeah. he has the same kind of format. Like he kind of waits, waits for the pitch till the very end. Yeah. Exactly. And a yeah. lot of times, to be honest, I've never given a presentation. Right. It's just I, conversational. Well, yeah. And they're, and they're like, the, first of all, we connected, right? Rapport. You understand my problems. And I've recited it back to you. We've talked about, you know, what it's costing you and the budget and stuff. We talked about decision. And really what I hear is, well, when can we start? They mm -hmm. never asked me about, tell me about Sandler. Tell me about how you're going to fix my problems. Now, I'm not saying it happens all the time, but quite frequently, I never even have to do a presentation on who Sandler is or how we're actually going to solve your problems because they've already seen me as a physician, right? Like even when I go in for, let's say I have to have a hip done, I don't say, hey, before we start, can I, can I talk to you about how are you doing the hip thing? I mean, where are you cutting exactly? How does that work? I don't ask that. I don't care. All I just want to know is, are you going to take care of me, Mr. Doctor, Miss Doctor? Are you taking care of me? Do I feel comfortable? And that's the same thing. I think salespeople, good salespeople are doctors of sales. Obviously you guys have a, a really well built out process for mm -hmm. getting someone fully trained on sales. Um, and you have uh, some uniqueness to the way you approach a given pitch. If you were to differentiate Sandler sales training from other sales training that's out there, is there any major points that you would be like, you know, the process is different or the content is different in the following ways, or here's really where we drive results and success. And here's how we can point to those results. Um, well, there's a lot of things, but I would say, and I've said a couple already, one is very conversational. You don't have to learn a script. It's not a script based sales process. Oh, cool. It is based on psychology. Um, I think the other thing that it's kind of cool is we have something called the success triangle, which is behavior, attitude, and technique. Now, everyone will teach you technique, including us. I mean, I love our technique, right? Like how to get a voicemail returned, what happens if the file goes stale, whatever, all that technique stuff. But technique by itself, Pat, is short-lived. We've all been to seminars where we leave pumped. We're like, oh, I'm going to conquer the world. 
until mm-hmm. the next morning. <laughs> you know, we're all beat up, right? So that's short end. The other two is actually what makes Sandler awesome and, sust- and it really keeps change moving, which is the attitude behavior. So let's talk about mindset. Mindset is stuff like equal business stature, right? I can ask you, even though you're an executive, I can ask you all those questions about your finances, right? I may be selling you a premium that I could never afford myself. So I've got all this money concept things here. I mean, think about when I grew up, I grew up in New England, very conservative. My parents destroyed me as a salesperson because they said to me, don't talk to strangers. It's impolite to to, uh, talk about money and never speak unless spoken to. Now I go work for a GA. You know what they say? I want you to go talk to as many people as possible. I want you to actually and get money on the table. I want you, the exact opposite. Yes, so, the opposite. So it's all the head stuff that goes on there, fear of success, fear of failure. And taking rejection, let's be honest. I mean, you're in a rejection-filled business as an insurance. We're not winning 100% of our cases. Mm-hmm. So you get rejected more than we get accepted. So how do I handle that? Because that's role, that's role rejection. That's not me personally. They're not saying, hey, I'm rejecting you, Dave. It's I don't, I don't have a need for what you're selling right now. And so I think people take rejection like they're Eeyore. Oh, I just got killed on this one. You know, all that stuff. But that's the way of the world. And the last one over here is behaviors, which is I think everybody needs a behavioral plan. So that is reverse engineer your sales cycle and your sales funnel and just say, okay, I know I need X amount per month. I get that. So, but how many dials, how many referrals, how many of things that I can control? Because I can't control who says yes or no. I can control my own personal behavior. And what I have found, Pat, is people that are on a behavioral plan, they're hitting their goal. They're hitting their quota at least a quarter ahead of everyone else. It is super powerful. So if I'm doing the right things and I'm thinking the right way, the technique stuff just kind of happens, right? Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. And the other thing that comes to mind is, you know, how to bookend your sales call. I don't know if we have time for that. We can talk about it, but it's really how to start a call super strong and how to end a call. So those are just some of the things that pop up. How does the process work? So if I was like a salesperson that, or maybe I was just about to get into sales Mm -hmm. and I want to make sure I had all the tools I needed and I thought Sandler was a great option. I know you guys have 250 locations and there's different training centers and maybe you guys have people come into different business offices. What's What's the training look like? Uh, well, there's a lot of different tracks. It could be online, could be virtual, right? Um, okay. They could come into our training centers and we have different topics happening all the time. It could be um, like the introductory, the Sandler selling system. It could be closing, could be digital prospecting, whatever. But if you're a local client, once you're a client, you can come to anything that we have in our, in our uh, local training center. So think about it as you've bought a unlimited amount of pass, let's say to, I went to Yukon. So I could go to anything I wanted to Yukon. You can go to anything that we have in any training center once you're a client. Have at it. And there's management tracks and there's sales tracks. So we have content where I teach you the Sandler stuff. And then we have role play clinics and problem solving where you would come and say, okay. So I heard about that 30-second commercial you talked about last time, Dave. I can't, how am I doing that as an insurance person? How am I going to get that done? Or, you know, so we say, okay, well, let's play. I'll play you as an insurance person. You play homeowner. Like, what? You don't know insurance. I don't have to know insurance. It's okay. I'll I'll take care of myself. And then we'll we'll role play. And the beauty of this thing is that we're teaching you how to do it so you can mimic it, right? The problem with role play normally is I say, well, Pat, let me hear your 30-second commercial. Well, well, Dave, if I knew it, I wouldn't even brought it up to you, right? I mean, so you're just asking me to fail. But the magic is... As an insurance person, you may be sitting next to a banker. You may sit next to an engineer and they're learning stuff and you're role playing. And when you say things like, well, I don't, I don't really want to go and ask my natural market. Yeah, I, th- I just don't want to do that. And you explain what that means in your world. And other one says, well, here's how I've done that. So it's mm-hmm. this cross pollination of different industries, which sounds so counterintuitive but it is super cool to watch happen. And so that's kind of how it works there. So again, any, any variation thereof, we can go on site and do boot camps. You can come to our training centers. You're going to be there for a year. If you want to come you know, for eight weeks, you can do that too. So that's how it works. It's super flexible based on time, 
need, things of that nature. That's really cool. I'm a big fan of the flexibility because I think in the insurance industry, you'll find people that are just starting out. You have some producers that are later on in the industry, or maybe yep. they're coming from an underwriting role or a more service oriented role and they're just getting into sales. So they have the detailed product knowledge, but they need that psychology or maybe they needed to learn how to close, yep. or maybe they've been tasked with doing a bunch of cold calls, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So and I think, someone, you know, that's a different skill than if I've done that for a while. Now I'm trying to figure out how to get past that 18 month slump, you know, like, Hey, this is the time. So now yeah. I'm doing this or I'm a brand new sales manager running five to seven agents. Like, okay, just because I survived as an agent doesn't mean I'm going to be a good coach. What do I do there? So I may have stopped going to prospecting, but I'm going down these tracks instead. And that's the beauty. You get to pick and choose based on what's going on in your career. That's a good point to bring up because for sales management, I think what I've seen a lot of in the insurance industry is like maybe the best salesperson or one of the better salespeople gets promoted to, the, to be the sales manager. But a lot of times they might not have the qualities that a manager needs. They're great at sales, but they might not be great at dealing with people issues, dealing with different personalities, motivating people, et cetera. Well, I think if you think about sales management, it's the toughest job in any company. And they're the least trained people, group of people in any company, because let's pretend I'm a GA, right? My sales manager leaves. Do you know what that means? That means me as a GA, I'm going to have to start managing this group. I don't want to manage that group. So what do I say? Well, who's going to take their place? And I look around. Oh, Pat, he's a stud. Pat can do it. I call you in and say, Pat, I've been thinking about you for a long time. I would like you to be the sales manager. All I need you to do is replicate your success. Can you handle that? Yeah. Awesome. Hey, I have an open door policy, but good luck to you. And then you're off and running. And the problem is we lose people because you're learning as you go. Right. And so we have no idea on how to recruit, how to onboard, how to coach, right? How to do sales funnel management, how to do a joint call. None of that has actually been taught to them. And ultimately, you know, you've either got to do it on your own or you've got to have a GA or somebody that has really said, okay, we're going to have a program for sales leaders. But that is the number one problem in most companies is sales management. That's really interesting. I'm glad that you brought that up because I think a lot of people aren't focusing on that. And it's kind of, it's not looked at as closely as it no. should be. No. If someone wanted access, let's just say they wanted uh, the sales management track or sales management training or uh, one of the specific types of training that you mentioned previously, how would they go about accessing that? Would they go to the Sandler website? You can go to the Sandler website and just find a local office to you. You could certainly get me in LinkedIn, right? Dave mm -hmm. Matson, you can pop me. And either ask me for a tool, happy to send it to you, or just say, I live in Columbus or I live in San Francisco, and I'll just virtually introduce you. And as a matter of fact, Pat, if anyone you know says, hey, I heard you uh, talking with Pat, uh, they can they can go to a free session for me, on me. I don't As long as they learn something, I'm happy, right? Because if I do a good job and teach you a bunch of stuff, I believe you'll be a raving fan. So you're welcome to come to something as my guest. Hey, that's huge, Dave. I yeah. really appreciate that. I, for all the audience out there, what Dave just said, a free session on him, yeah. if you're listening to this, that's wild. I really appreciate that. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, cool. Um, all righty, so now folks know where they can access you. And the other thing I know is, Dave, you've, you've written some best-selling sales books. Mm -hmm. Can you list off a few of those if someone was looking to, you know, get some reading in at night or whatever it is to make sure that they're fall asleep so they can fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Sandler, I don't know. They're best selling. I mean, I know, I know, I know. My mom bought a lot of them, brother. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, here are some things here. So I've got, um, Sandler rules, 49 rules. It's like a one pager. Awesome for what you're, you know, it's learning something new or as a seasoned vet. We have enterprise selling. Okay, we've got that. I have, uh, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike, but David Sandler wrote that. And I just did some of the, the, um, the fill-ins. We have some leadership books. One is the road to excellence. And that's really helping you as a owner take the business from where you are today to where you would like it to be. And everyone has a different vision for their organization. So this allow, this is a playbook for entrepreneurs. And then we have scaling sales success. 
That one is for sales leaders. And what can I do to either up my game or just to learn how to be in the game? And so there's a list of, it's all tactics and strategies. So we don't have a lot of fluff in our books. It's here's what you do. Here's how you say it. Here's why it works. All that stuff. It's that's all laid out in any one of these books. The one-stop shop for sales. Yeah. Uh, Sandler sales training. I love it, Dave. Thank you again for, for spending time with me today. We are running up on time a little bit and yep. we always end with five rapid fire questions that are kind of like fun, professional okay. or personal questions that you can answer as uh, as short or as long as you'd like. So if okay. you're ready, sure, I can dive into those. Sure. Okay. You have 250 locations. What is your favorite Sandler location to visit uh, in the U.S. and then your favorite international location to visit? Uh, international is UK. I mean, super successful over there. There's 27 offices. Um, is, and it, here, is, that Lon- is that London? Uh, all over the UK. Yeah, I got all London. Over the UK. Okay. I mean, there, cool. there's 27 different offices, but we have a wow. We have one hub over there. I love going over there. Um, it reminds me of when I first started Sandler as well. Here in the U.S., I don't have a favorite. It it's really depends on the weather. So next week, as a matter of fact, I'm spending time in Florida, and then you know I'll go to certain places. So, you know, I've been in, I've been with these uh, with these people for decades, and so I don't have a favorite as far as that's concerned. But certainly, weather will dictate where I may spend some time. Weather dictates my travel too. Okay, sales is represented in a lot of ways in in books and movies. Um, even in podcasts, is there a specific book, movie, or podcast that you'd recommend for someone who's just starting in sales other than your own books? Um, well, there, there's a lot of them out there, right? Um, in your, in our world here, uh, I love Donald Moyne's book, which is helps people why people buy the power of influence. That was a huge deal for me, uh, early on in my career. And basically it says, why do people buy? and power of you know authority and things that I didn't really understand, but I've used it ever since. So if you had to pick a book that you don't have to adopt a sales methodology for, then pick something that helps you become better at understanding what's important to the other side. It is based on research, but it's written for people like us, and it is super powerful. Love that book. Nice, and what's the, what's the title one more time? The Power of Influence. The Power of Influence. Okay. Donald Moyne. Donald Moyne. Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, Dave, I, I'm guessing you're a competitive guy because you're in sales. You're very entrepreneurial. Um, you know, you're in sales training. So I, I assume that you have uh, competitive hobbies outside of work. Is there any any major hobbies that you have? I do. Um, mostly solo, to be honest. So I'm a huge fly fishing guy. Okay. Uh, so I'd love to do that. Cool. I love to ski. Um, I'm a hacker when it comes to golf. So I would say I love to play golf until I start playing golf. And so, <laughs> I'm the same way. <laughs> I don't like it anymore. Uh, <laughs> but those are the three biggies that I do all the time. Cool. Very cool. Yep. Okay. I know you went to UConn. Yep. Do you have a favorite all-time UConn basketball player? All right. Now I'm going to embarrass myself. Uh, the answer is no. And when I was there, I never went to a game. Oh, really? Were they how, good at the time? Were how, they good? They were good. But how bad is that actually? <laughs> you know, I, and the reason being, this is me rationalizing, so I'll say that up front, is because I had that business. I never lived in a dorm. I was running a business through college. I didn't go to that stuff. I was uh-huh. over here doing all the stuff that the business needed. Uh-huh. And in hindsight, there's probably a gap in my in my life, but here I am today, so I guess we'll we'll figure that out later. And you can always go back. I can always see. You can always go yeah. back. You can yeah. always see a game. Yeah. I wish yeah. I could do Google fast enough. I could list a name and feel like, you know, I, <laughs> I, got, I got nothing. I got nothing. I know. I know. No worries. No worries. Okay, cool. And then uh, our uh, our marketing associate, Finn, came up with this last question. Uh, You're going to blame on- him? So I know this is going to yeah, be a good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, here it comes. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, I wouldn't have said this myself, but Finn, you know, here's a question. Yeah, here we go. Okay, okay. So obviously you had the painting company. Yeah. Finn's question was if there's any, if you have a favorite color of paint. I have, well, probably white. Um, 
I have a lot of white, but I would say Ben Moore is the best paint out there. I would say. Okay. Best brand. Yeah, by far. Um, Big Ben Moore fan. But honestly, I never made the mistake when I was doing that business, Pat, of picking the paint. I always say, have it in your garage. And it saved me a ton of time because no, if I did it, it was always wrong. Remember, people never yeah. argue. People never argue with their own data, right? So if they picked it, they love Seriously. it. If I picked Seriously. it, same color, it'd be like, ah, oh, I don't know, I don't know. So just put it on their plate. They can't exactly. blame anything on you. Exactly. So, um, but you know, I'm a super white. I like super white for trims and outside. So I do that a lot at my house. I still paint at my own house. I don't. I don't hire anybody. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, all right. Well, Dave, thank you again for coming on. Really excited to get this out there. This is going to be kind of part of our sales series of podcasts that's going to go out to the insurance world. And uh, we'll kind of have a little database on our website where people can access it. And right. um, honestly, I, I really hope that we have audience members that take Dave up on his offer to to go to that session, see how it is, because from everything from I've heard from the conversation with Dave, but also to our outside researches, they're incredibly flexible and they're serving lots of different folks and lots of different departments and lots of different industries when it comes to sales, super flexible. So um, I think it's something that uh, a lot of people should be taking advantage of, especially in the insurance industry where salespeople tend to be the hardest position to hire, train and retain. So uh, that said, Dave, any final uh, messages for the audience? No, thanks for having me. And again, if you'd like to take me up on it, I'm happy to have you as, uh, as my guest. My job is just to further the industry. So thanks for having me and, and, and good selling. Dave, you're the man. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. Please download, subscribe, and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening on. And feel free to reach out to me at Pat at evolvedbrokerpodcast.com with any comments or suggestions for the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by First Insurance Funding. First is the leading premium finance company in insurance and is known throughout the industry for their personalized service and quote flexibility. If you're tired of sending quote requests for smaller premiums to multiple companies, not leaving enough time to negotiate larger opportunities, then choose First as your primary financing source and experience the first difference today. 